Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs happily dwell on the subject of happiness. We bring your attention to the world's very first speeding ticket. We take you back to a time when not all warriors were men. We introduce another bit of old doggerel. We share some practical ways in which you can improve your happiness. And we explain why it's so hard for older folks to learn a language. The Old Dog's conversation is with Stanley Santire, who, after years of successfully practicing the law, has launched a new career with a new form of mediation. Stay with us. Well, Paul. Yo. Are you happy to tell me what's on your mind today? I am so happy, Jim, and let me tell you why. Okay. We had We had a pod nugget in today's episode that was different ways to improve your happiness. Yeah. And so I'm I'm already working on that. Can you see the grin I've got on my face? Uh no. Well, but I can hear it. <laughs> and maybe happiness is the wrong term to use. Oh. Yeah, you know, folks our age are prone to depression. Uh-huh. Uh that tends to happen, loneliness, whatever the case might be. And so it is kind of important that you have tools to fight depression, that you have tools and and maybe happiness is a wrong term because that connotes you're you're in the corner giggling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not to you, but it does to me. So anyway, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I kind of agree with you. I think that happiness as a concept is something that I don't think that everybody has the same definition of it. And to be happy may be a futile pursuit if what you mean by happy is being upbeat and laughing and uh, everything is rosy and always will be because it won't be. And if you're expecting it to be, then that's going to be cause for more depression, right? Okay. Are, so, are you depressed now? Should I talk you down? On, on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought another, that up. Give me another minute. No, uh, I, I agree with you. I think that we have our own definition of what we want out of life. And if we t- talk about it as being happy, maybe that means content. Uh, maybe it means that we generally have a good outlook on life that we feel good about ourselves, that we feel good about our lives. And that's not necessarily being happy, but it's a good thing. Okay, now is this drug-induced, the state you're talking about? Is there another way? (laughs) There are a couple of things in the uh, practical ways to improve your happiness. Uh, For example, taking a walk in nature is Mm -hmm. always uplifting. It always just clears away the cobwebs. Don't you agree? Yeah, and as a matter of fact, when I take walks in nature, which I do frequently, usually with my wife, it calms me down. It makes me grateful for what's around me, what's immediately there. You know what they say about living in the present? And standing in the beauty of nature is a way to be in the present. What else is there when you're in that situation? Well, that's true, yeah. So to sum up this rather silly conversation... Both of us take exception with about being happy, and I think maybe a better term would be being content with what's in your life. Yes? Okay, content. 
at peace. Some people would say at peace. At peace. Oblivious. Oblivious. (laughs) Brain dead. That's right. Okay, those are all fine. Comatose. Sure. Okay, sure. If you think the pace of modern life is too fast, you may be right. The very first speeding ticket was issued over a hundred years ago. The driver was recklessly speeding along at eight miles per hour. This pod nugget is from the interestingfacts.com website. On January 28, 1896, Walter Arnold took his horseless carriage for a spin through the English village of Paddock Wood. He had no idea he was breaking the law until he was pulled over by a constable on a bicycle. His crime was exceeding the speed limit of two miles per hour. At eight miles an hour, he was chugging along at four times the speed limit. In what may have been the first speed trap, Arnold was charged with four related crimes. Using a locomotive without a horse on a public road, operating a horseless carriage with fewer than three people, (laughs) failing to display his name and address on the vehicle, and, of course, exceeding two miles per hour. Now, this was way before the science of beating a traffic ticket had evolved, so Arnold had no choice but to plead guilty. He paid the equivalent of more than $300 in today's money as a fine. We could hardly call Arnold repentant. A few months later, he began marketing his own Arnold motor carriage. And Paul? Yo! I don't think anyone can accuse us of not being contemporary in our news. Absolutely. What comes to mind when you picture a Viking warrior? Someone who is brawny and Nordic. Looks like Chris Hemsworth, right? Well, not this time. This pod nugget is from the National Geographic for September 12, 2017. More than a thousand years ago, a wealthy Viking warrior was buried in a fancy grave with weapons and two sacrificed horses in southeastern Sweden. It was assumed that it was the remains of a male Viking warrior. I mean, who else would be worth two sacrificed horses? Really? That assumption changed when a Stockholm University bioarchaeologist studied the pelvic bone and mandible of the skeleton. He concluded that the male warrior was actually a female. There was pushback from other archaeologists. Sure, there were legends of female Viking warriors, but that was just a myth. In response, a team from Uppsala University were able to extract DNA from the skeleton and prove conclusively that the buried Viking was a female. They further concluded that she was a warrior and a valued tactician based on other artifacts in the grave. The obvious lesson here is we shouldn't be too quick to assume gender roles were fixed in the past. The competition between men and women in the workplace goes back at least a thousand years and occurred on the battlefield. Oh, we're here. It's time for another installment of Old Doggerel, our attempt to create fun terms for the various indignities that seniors encounter. In this episode, we take a look at the pitfalls of Medicare. Now, Medicare is one of the better reasons to get old. At the age of 65, we can sign up for this comprehensive government health program. However, it isn't simply a yes or no proposition. You're right. You have to make choices. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add parts B or D? Do you want basic Medicare or a Medicare Advantage plan? Oh, and what about a Medigap policy that can cover some of your out-of-pocket expenses? And just what are your out-of-pocket expenses? Hmm. Well, the point is you need to consider your Medicare options carefully during your yearly enrollment period. Which brings us to our next addition to Old Doggerel. 
If you don't do your homework, you are being Medicareless. This is a rare government program that works well if you don't screw it up. From time to time, it's good to remind ourselves that we are in charge of our happiness. No one else or nothing else. This pod nugget is from The Atlantic for April 21st, 2022. And here are some suggestions for ways to raise your happiness level. Invest time in family and friends. That means improve our closest relationships by sharing experiences and time together. Join a club or social group. Associating with other people promotes a sense of belonging. Be active mentally. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Practice your spirituality. Search for transcendent truths beyond your day-to-day life. Get physical exercise. Regular exercise enhances mood, mobility, and social functioning. Act nicely. Agreeableness is positively correlated with happiness. And be generous. Behaving altruistically boosts dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, and it's legal. (laughs) Respect your health. Chronic pain and anxiety create the greatest unhappiness. Get help when needed. Experience nature. Walking in a rural setting lowers stress and increases a positive mood, so get walking. And finally, bring more laughter into your life. Find a podcast that celebrates aging with a sense of humor. For example, New Tricks for Old Dogs. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you. If you've tried to learn a language as a senior, you probably felt it was harder than when you were younger. The good news is you are not alone. The bad news is you still will have trouble. This pod nugget is from the Word Genius website dated December 22nd, 2021. It's no secret that brain function changes over time. It's not necessarily about decreasing brain function. It's about accumulating too much stuff in our heads. Our knowledge base is so large that it affects the ability to learn anything new, not just languages. If you've ever tried to organize the jumble in your attic, you understand the process. In the parts of the brain responsible for managing language, there's little difference in function from youth to adulthood. You may operate a little slower as you age, but it's not impossible to learn new languages. The difficulty may stem from how you are trying to learn a language. Studies have shown that you can learn a new language better through immersion. Studying a language in college is a lot less effective than moving to a country where people primarily speak that language. If you need to learn that language to complete your daily tasks, you're going to learn quickly. So if you are desperately trying to master Greek for an anticipated cruise to the Greek islands, relax. Pick up a few handy phrases so you can avoid being arrested, (laughs) and then trust that over a week or so you will pick up enough Greek to eat, drink, and be merry without offending too many locals. Opa. Stanley Santire is founder and managing member of the Santire Law Firm based in Houston, Texas. For more than three decades, he has counseled and represented clients in labor and employment matters, civil rights, construction, and business transactions. He is experienced in mediation, arbitration, trial, and appellate work. In his practice, Stanley has felt a strong need for a better mediation system, one that gives a more level playing field for the little guy. Now he's putting that need into practice with a new kind of mediation process. Let's start with where you've been as a lawyer. Well, 
I started out, of course, in uh, doing trial work with a firm where we did a lot of construction and employment. And then from there, I took a major step. Actually, I I went back and did some postgraduate work in New York at Columbia. And honestly, it was uh, out of the blue. I was invited by Lockheed Corporation at that time to take over as their international council based in Geneva and Riyadh. So that was a different experience because here I was dealing in a very structured environment overseeing litigation, overseeing such things as dispute resolution, uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and that sort of thing that you get involved in. Then I came back to the United States, and I've been in private practice now for, since then, well over 20 years. All right, let's talk about mediation. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the benefit of people who are not familiar with the distinction, there is mediation and there's arbitration, right? Yeah. We don't know the difference. Well, that's interesting because most people, the lawyers do, but the, the clients usually do not. Mm-hmm. First thing I do in a mediation is explain to them the distinction because they come in there and they see this guy at the end of the table or on a Zoom, which is a, a lot of our work is on Zoom now. And they think I'm going to be making decisions for them and tell them what they ought to be doing. Well, in arbitration, that's what you do. An arbitrator actually decides the case just like a judge. The difference being is that you can't appeal in arbitration. Okay. that's So that's one area. But in a mediation, my responsibility is to get the folks to come to some sort of an agreement. I'm effectively stimulating negotiation between the parties. If they don't resolve it, it goes on to the court and you and you try the case. Uh, Paul, as I had mentioned to Stanley, um, you have some experience with mediation. Uh, and- I, I did. Uh, it, it was JP Court. I went through a dispute resolution oh. program. And uh, the Fort Bend Dispute Resolution Center is what it worked out of. So it was more uh, smaller claims matters, but I enjoy the process. I, I really see the power of mediation. Interesting why you, you progressed from being a lawyer to mediation. Do you enjoy the mediation practice more? That's a great question. In some ways I do. Some, I mean, there they, they are certain trade-offs. I, I feel that I put myself on the line more in mediation, quite frankly. Because you've got the people right there, you're trying to get them to get something done. And my feelings on if the mediation works out, it's like winning a, a case in front of a jury. If it doesn't work out, it bothers me. Now, as a mediator, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to feel neutral. and It's their responsibility to get the deal done. And uh, I'm not supposed to feel that way. But I am at a point in time in my life, and this is an interesting aspect about the change, there is less of a day-to-day pressure on doing the mediation than there is on the litigation. Because when you're doing trials, it's like an 18-hour-a-day thing. You're thinking about it. You're wondering about it. You've got to deal with the judge. You're worrying about what kind of people are going to be on the jury, dealing with your client who's sometimes not real happy about seeing those invoices. So mm-hmm. there is a trade-off on pressure. Well, and also I think in, in a courtroom, uh, it's a zero-sum game. You win, you lose, where mediation is really quite possible for everyone to win. Yeah, yeah. Come, come away feeling like the, the compromise was good. Yeah. Well, that's a very important point. Uh, most of, the, most of the, the, the stuff that's written on mediation, and as lawyers, as mediators, we do think of it as more of a win-win because at the end of a trial, somebody does lose and somebody does win. I mean, you know, jury either goes one way or the other. But in a mediation, the whole idea is at the end of the day, 
both sides are comfortable with it. One of the interesting phenomenon of that that, you have, that I have to be concerned about is that I can be sometimes overly pressuring. I can be what's called evaluative and actually push people to some sort of an agreement. Because quite frankly, the court that has decided that there's going to be a mediation wants an agreement. They don't want just a discussion session. So there is a concern sometimes about whether or not, let's say, there's buyer's remorse two or three days after the mediation to be, be sure that, in fact, both sides really did buy into that, that deal. The interesting turn that your career has taken now is that you want to get the mediation process started before a lot of litigation is concerned. So how does that work then? Some folks call it early dispute resolution. Others call it multi-stage mediation. The whole idea is that you do your mediation before a lawsuit has been filed. Right now, what happens with all the mediations I deal with, somebody has filed a lawsuit, somebody has responded, and then they spend a year or a year and a half, whatever, going through discovery and you know spending a great deal of money. And then all of a sudden, one day, bam, you sit down with a mediator, maybe half day or full day, and you're supposed to work all this stuff out as opposed to going on to trial, right? Well, the idea of the early dispute resolution is that you have an agreement actually to do a mediation before you get involved with litigation. Where I believe the the potential on this is, is, for example, where companies right now, as you know, Paul, they, they have they'll put in their contracts with their suppliers or with their company they do business with, maybe with a consumer or even with their employees, they'll put it in their policies, that before you sue us, you must go through arbitration. Now, we discussed arbitration earlier. You know, you go to arbitration, an arbitrator makes the decision and you don't go to court. Well, what we're looking at is to have those type of provisions in place of an arbitration concept where a company tells an employee or two companies decide in their construction contract, you know, instead of jumping right into litigation, why don't we go through a mediation and have somebody come in and facilitate the negotiation basically so we can work this thing out now before we spend $150,000, $100,000, whatever it is down the road. What, what, what do you think on that, Paul? I think it's a great idea, especially since uh, binding arbitration has been under fire lately. And, and really, my take on it is that binding arbitration is still a trial. It's a mini trial. Yeah, yeah. Instead of a judge, you have an attorney doing the trial work. I think it's a great concept because uh, by nature, the mediation is participatory. It needs yeah. the agreement of both parties, mm-hmm. uh, whereas arbitration doesn't need the agreement of both parties. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, I think it's terrific. Now, do you think it's going to take off? It sounds like it's going to I, I really don't know. I'm just now exploring. Actually, some colleagues of mine, this fellow here in Houston by the name of Michael Hawash is sort of a pioneer on the idea. But there's a lot of folks that have never even heard of it. I was, I was talking just yesterday with the former dean of a law school, and he is known for his expertise in the field of alternative dispute resolution mediation and such. And it was a new idea to him. So it really is an emerging thing. And, and you know, what you point out about arbitration is quite correct. I, I okay, you know, I, I do. I do arbitrations also periodically. But when it comes to the employee situation, first of all, the employee does not have a choice. And you'll hear a lot of people with the, with the American Arbitration Association say, oh, what a wonderful thing arbitration is, because, you know, you get to pick your arbitrator and all that stuff. Well, the reality is, you, if you're an employee, you don't get a choice as to whether or not you're going to arbitration. 
If your employer has it there, you can be there 20 years and the employer can come out with a policy and the company comes out one day and says, from now on, you're going to have to go through arbitration. No more, no right to go to court. You know, the heck with the, the Seventh Amendment in the U.S. Constitution, basically. Plus, in arbitration, there is no appeal. And I have been through arbitrations where, where I felt the arbitrator totally screwed up on the legal reasoning. I actually had one situation just a few months ago where it was validated because the Supreme Court later came out with a decision showing that the arbitrator screwed up, but you can't, you can't appeal it. Mm-hmm. In the mediation, you, you know, at least you both have an opportunity to deal with it on a fair basis. And like I say, even on this early dispute resolution thing, if it doesn't work out on early mediation, then yeah, go ahead and file a lawsuit. But the chances are it's going to work out. I mean, you know as well as I do, even right now, I have only like 2% of all cases uh, get to get to trial, maybe even less in federal court. You are not in any great hurry to retire, even in the next few years. How do you see this evolving for yourself personally? Well, that's an excellent point, because quite frankly, I am at an age that I can't say to myself what if this thing is going to be work long term over 20 years. So for me, it has to be sort of a short term. And I'll share something else with you on it. Um, it's not just me. I've actually, for the first time in my life, I brought in a consultant. And what I want him to do is give me direction so I don't waste a lot of time trying to figure out how to implement this concept. It sort of indicates a shift to dispute resolution, that key word, resolution, as opposed to dispute winning. You know, that's a great point to put, Paul. That is exactly right. It's, it's resolution. And that's why the term, of course, ADR, which encompasses both mediation and arbitration, is alternative dispute resolution, resolving things rather than basically winning and losing. I mean, courts are really our place of conflict intellectually. I mean, we don't use broadswords and stuff like that. But it really is a place of some form of a subdued conflict. It doesn't resolve because a resolution really means both sides really are happy and satisfied. But when you lose in a trial, you're not real happy. All right. So that's good terminology, good semantics, Paul. You must get a lot of enjoyment out of the law still. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, that is interesting. I know people that retire and they play golf. I don't know how to play golf. And I'm not sure exactly what I would do. Maybe I'd become more familiar with what happens to be showing lately on Netflix or something. I don't, I don't, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Because a lot of folks come to an end of a certain point in time, I believe. It's time for retirement. And the whole idea is that somehow retirement is an end point. Bang. And it's sort of a starting point between now and death. And that's how. <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, you know, I say this to Helen and she says, and she'll turn to people and say, I'll tell her, you know, I'm not going to die. And Helen turns to people and she says, my husband, you see, he actually believes that. <laughs> well, Stanley, we really appreciate your taking the time to do this. I know you've got a, a sudden emergency court date here. I, yeah, uh, later today I do. I hope that uh, you've enjoyed the experience. I'm sure our listeners will. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah. and, I, and I, I hope that you find that death is a mediation and you can just keep working <laughs> at it. <laughs> like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. 
There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.